Welcome to the Darwinian Demon Podcast. All right. In today's show, we're going way, way, way back. We're going way back in time. We're going to talk about today, or today's show is about things that happened a long time ago. The kinds of times that the religious people don't believe actually happened. We're going, you know, we're going way back beyond 6,000 years. We're going deep to the origins of life on earth. And we're going to talk about an event that happened at that time that came to shape what, what life on earth looked like to a, to a large degree. And then I'm going to talk about why I say we're all parasites. And so we go back to the earliest, the earliest evidence for life occurred, um, or the earliest evidence for, for life suggests that life started around 3.5 billion years ago. So, I mean, that's, that's always, these, these times, once you get, once you get past, once you get past like 200, my mind starts to kind of, get a little squirrely like my my primitive primate mind can't handle these long long times so then you start thinking about 3.5 billion years ago i mean it's just such a it's such an insane amount of time and and, and that's where i can i can see why you know if you're a you're a baptist preacher somewhere and you got a book that's saying earth is 6000 years and then you got some egghead telling you the earth is much older than that. I think the Earth is somewhere around um, five five billion. Pro- I don't know. It's somewhere in there. I should look that up. But that life began. Let's just deal with what one thing we knew. Life began um, three or the earliest evidence for life. It may began earlier than that, but the earliest direct evidence in the form of fossils is three point five billion years old. You just throw up your hands like, no, you know what? I'm not. I'm not. No, no. Six thousand years. Okay. 3.5 billion, that's a long time. So you're going to stick with the Bible on that, you know, if you're, especially if you're a Baptist priest. You're not going to, re, you're not going to revise your information. So 3.5 billion years ago, life began. And when we think about, when we classify life nowadays, we have these, what we call these domains. So if you ever took biology, you might remember a long time ago there was this this mnemonic you used to remember how to classify life. And I, the one I learned was King Philip comes over for good steaks. And that basically is telling you that life is divided into kingdoms. The kingdoms are divided into phylums. Um, the phylums are divided into classes, the classes into orders, the orders into families, the families into genera, and the genera into species. But recently we, we have a new, a new classification that goes above the kingdoms, and that's domains. And there are three domains of life, and these, again, these go way back. These, these go back very far in, in evolutionary history. And these domains are the 
bacteria, the archaea, and the eukarya. And these three domains split about, they seem to, they seem to, well, I don't know when they, when the, when the, when the archaea and the eukarya split from the, from the bacteria, but we're going to focus on the eukarya for now. And the eukarya split, or they evolved about 2.1 billion years ago. And the eukarya is really the focus of today's show, because that's, that's the domain that we're in. That's the domain that, that we are in, and as humans are in. We're in that domain. But we're not the only ones in that domain. Basically, everything that the average person thinks about as an organism is in the eukarya. Now, one, one group of organisms that we know of, that we think about a lot, that are not in that domain, are bacteria. So things that, you know, things like the E. coli or things that cause strep throat, those things, they're in, they're in the bacteria. And there's this whole other group of single-celled organisms that are in the archaea. And the archaea are actually closer related to us than the bacteria. So the eukarya and the, and the archaea are um, much more closely related to each other than they are to the bacteria. And, and some groups, some of you may have heard of for, in the archaea are the, some of these extremophiles. So these, these organisms that can live in these super, um, super hot environments or, or environments where there's a lot of sulfur, like super acidic environments. They live in these groups. They live in, I mean, they're in the archaea. But we're going to focus again on the eukarya. Because the eukarya, of course, is a really interesting group because that's like, that's the group that, if you ask me, that's the group where all the, the more interesting organisms are in. Now, microbiologists would definitely disagree with me about that because there's really some cool bacteria out there. But I study plants, and um, so, of course, I'm interested in eukarya. And first of all, before we, we talk about this, let's, let's talk about some of the some of the big differences between the eukarya and the, the archaea and um, bacteria. So one of the, the, the first sort of classifications that we have are that the eukarya have membrane-bound organelles. And that basically means in the cell of a, of, of a eukaryote, there are these these org- they, organelles, they, like these little organs, but they have a, they, they're encased in a little envelope. And you can, you can, we won't really, I won't get into what the envelope is made of, but it's a, it's a cool little thing. So they're encased in this envelope and the nucleus is also, also encased in an envelope and they have a, a nucleus with um, chromosomes. Whereas bacteria have this circular chromosome. Also, eukaryotes have what's called a cytoskeleton. They have this, this, these, these proteins in their cells that allow them to change shape. So they can change shape depending on, on the environment. So a lot of times you might think if, if you can visualize a, an amoeba or a, um, different types of blood cells, I think it's the, the white blood cells, they can change shape and sort of change their shape depending on the, on the environment. But the coolest thing about the eukaryotes, the thing I think that really defines, that really kind of 
push the group to become larger. You notice I haven't really mentioned that they're multicellular. That's another big thing that that you can find in eukaryotes, although most eukaryotes are still single-celled organisms. But one thing that makes them really cool is they have these other organelles in them called mitochondria and then another type called plastids and that you can find in, in plants. And plastids is just a general term for what, what, what are called chloroplasts. So they have these other organism, organelles in them. And this is, that's really the focus of, of what I want to just, what I want to talk about today. Is what are these things? So what are, what are um, mitochondria? So first of all, all plants, fungi, animals, amoebas, etc. They're all in eukaryotes and they all have mitochondria. Now plants... Plants have um, mitochondria and chloroplasts. So first of all, what are mitochondria? Well, mitochondria are organelles in your cells that are derived from aerob aerobic bacteria. So they're derived from bacteria. So that, just think about that for a minute. That's, that's crazy, right? You have parts of that's in, that's in just about all your cells... You have these things that evolved from bacteria. Now that right there, again, if I just sometimes I just I just like thinking about what a religious person will say. Maybe they, maybe they they they'd be okay with that, and they think this that you could evolve a mitochondrion in six thousand years. I guess I guess they don't think about it like that. They just say God miracle mitochondria in 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 a, in a short amount of time, which I can't argue. Maybe it did, maybe it happened. Right, probably not, but maybe it did. So, um, but it didn't. So, now you think about that, right? So you have these these things, these these organisms in your cells, in all your cells. So your your cells are filled with bacteria, essentially. How did they get here? Well, that's the funny thing about, and that's, that's the funny thing that, that you see in textbooks. Because textbooks will tell you that there's this symbiosis between the eukaryote and the mitochondria. Or they'll describe it as a, um, they'll describe it as a mutualism between a, between a, the eukaryote and the mitochondrion. So what is a mutualism? Well, a mutualism is a mutually beneficial interaction between two organisms. So let's think of a, a, a good example. One, one example that you might see of a mutualism, you see a lot of times on uh, like nature shows where there's a, you know, some large animal like a, a rhinoceros, right? And the rhinoceros body has, the, the rhinoceros, or, or buffalo is probably a better example, right? Like a big, a big, like water buffalo, where they'll have, uh, their body will have ticks, ticks covering them. So the buffalo will allow the, will allow some of these little bird species to, to fly onto its back, and they won't disturb the birds, and they will just let the birds pick, pick the, 
the the ticks or whatever off of their off of their skin. So the the bird gets the food from the ticks, and the buffalo gets um, the ticks removed. So it's a mutually beneficial interaction. Thus, it's a mutualism. Now, these textbooks, they sell the mitochondria, the, re- the relationship between mitochondria, they, they call it a mutualism, which I don't know why. I mean, I think they're being overly PC. So they call it a mutualism because the eukaryotes getting all the energy from the mitochondria, and I'll explain in a minute what that energy source is. And the, the eukaryotes, the mitochondrion is getting the protection of the eukaryotic cells, right? But, and, and similar, they, there's a similar um, thought with, the, with chloroplast. But I'm not sure about that. I, I don't know that I would call that a mutualism. So first of all, let's say, what is, what is a mitochondrion? What is it doing? Well, the mitochondrion is the energy source. It's the primary energy source for eukaryotes so it allows eukaryotes to first of all allows them to breathe oxygen right so all eukaryotes have the ability to to breathe oxygen even plants that's what they use their their mitochondria for all right and so the mitochondria is a battery that's basically what it is it's this cell with these membranes that have a positive, positive charge on one side of the membrane and a negative charge on the other side of the membrane. And this charge gradient is basically, is maintained basically by food, by some type of, some energy source. And so it's just like a battery where this, where now this organism has this big charge gradient and it allows it to produce energy. So when you have a mitochondria, you have the, all these miniature batteries in, in all the cells of your body. And plants, you know, of course, you know, my opinion, plants are much cooler than animals. They not only have mitochondria, they have chloroplasts. And chloroplasts are a lot like mitochondria. They're, divide, they're derived from a bacteria too. They're derived from photosynthetic bacteria. So think about that. Plants themselves did not, did not independently evolve photosynthesis. It's it, they're, they're, they are organisms that took up an organism that already had photosynthesis and they use it for their own purpose, right? But the chloroplast, a lot like the mitochondrion, uses light energy instead of food. It uses light energy to produce this charge gradient, to produce energy. And so... You can see how that, and so we, it's called a symbiosis because you have these two organisms having a, an interaction. And some textbooks will say, well, it's a symbiosis, but it's also a mutualism. It's a mutualistic symbiosis. And that's where, that's where it's, it just gets to be, that's where it's, it's crazy wrong to me. Because when you look at it objectively, the, the eukaryote is a parasite. And it's, to me, it's the cold, most cold-blooded of all parasites. It's just, the eukaryotes really take, par- take being a parasite to a whole new level, right? It's like next-level parasite, right? And, and the reason I say that is 
because have you ever heard of a mitochondrial infection where someone's mitochondria have just gone, have just run amok and have taken over the cell like a cancer cell? No. Because they're not allowed to, they're not allowed to um, reproduce on their own. Their reproduction, everything about their life is in complete control of the eukaryotic cell. So if it was a mutualism, when you think about mutualism, it's mutually beneficial. And what really makes it beneficial is that there is a fitness advantage. Well, the, the progenitors, the, the mitochondria, in one sense, they do have a fitness advantage in that they do get to reproduce. So they do get to live and they live in these eukaryotic cells, but they have no control over their reproduction. The eukaryotes control their reproduction. And the eukaryote has complete control over its own reproduction. Same thing with chloroplasts and plants. So they're, they're, the chloroplasts don't divide on their own. They don't grow on their own. The, the plants control, control their reproduction. So, again, to call this a, a mutualism is, is borderline silly. I mean, the closest thing I can find to it, the closest thing that I think it would be is it's, it's more like domestication than it is mutualism. I mean, it's, it's as if 2.1 billion years ago, these organisms domesticated other organisms and made them into their, their slaves for, you know, for lack of a better word, they're like their energy, their energy sources. I mean, and it's really cool, right? Like, it's because you have these organisms that have taken up other organisms and shaped them into what they want them to be. You know, and it's, it's a lot like what we do with cows. I mean, it's like it's a lot like, like cattle, right? No one even knows what the progenitor of cattle even was, right? You have guesses, but we don't even know what that organism looked like because we have completely taken control of this animal. It can't even live. They can't even live in the wild. That's clo- I mean, to me, that's, that's a lot closer to what the mitochondria and chloroplasts are than that analogy, than, than a mutualism, like what I described with the buffalo and the, and, the, uh, and the bird. The reason that I'm focusing on the domestication part of it, the reason that I'm, I keep comparing it to domestication and not, and, and not even parasitism is um, when we think about parasitism, right, like a, class, like a classic example of parasitism that we all understand is, think about a flea biting a dog on its butt, right? A flea biting a dog. <clears throat> and the thing about that is the, the flea wants that interaction, right? Fleas love dogs. The flea wants the interaction. The flea bites the dog, and the flea gets blood from the dog. They get resources from the dog. The dog does not enjoy the interaction, right? The dog wants out. The dog does not like fleas. But at the end of the end of the day, the dog can still reproduce. The flea does not tell the dog where to go. It does not control the dog's reproduction, right? And the dog doesn't control the flea's reproduction. So it's a parasite. The flea is a parasite. And I remember when I was an undergraduate, I took a class, I think I took cell biology and uh, and and that's when this this I, this first hit me about 
this idea that eukaryotes are parasites. Because I was an undergraduate, but I had an evolutionary focus. And so I thought about, well, this is a negative-positive interaction, right? We, we, the eukaryotes, we want this interaction with the mitochondria, but the mitochondria aren't benefiting from this interaction. They're getting, they, you know, that's, it's a negative interaction for them because they're not increasing their fitness. You might, you know, again, you can kind of try to argue that they are. But I remember my, t- my teacher, he said, well, no, it's not a parasitism because a parasite, you take a parasite into your body. And that was not a satisfying answer. That was never a satisfying answer for me because, again, I look at it from the evolutionary standpoint of it being a negative, positive interaction where one actor wants wants the interaction to continue and the other actor doesn't. That's why, from an evolutionary standpoint, parasitism and and predator-prey interactions are the, the same kind of interaction, right? Like, again, a predator-prey interaction, the predator wants the interaction, right? The the lion wants to hang out with gazelles and zebras all day long. But zebras, they're not really interested in being around lions. It's not their uh it's not what they would call a, a good day. So and just to end, we think about evolution. It's not that these this thing happened and it's over. This is actually an ongoing process. So there are other organisms and this is the tables getting turned a little bit on or not so much turned but this, this is continuing where you have eukaryote, eukaryotes or single-celled eukaryotes that are being taken up by other eukaryotes. So there's these organisms that are in taking up photosynthetic algae and then getting the benefit of the photosynthesis from those algae. Those, so you have a eukaryote taking up another eukaryote and, and getting its... Um, basically getting use of its chloroplasts, which are derived from a prokaryote. So that's pretty cool, right? Like that's, that's, that's pretty cool. And that's like this, this really uh, fundamental interaction and this fundamental thing that, fundamental change that happened in life, again, 2.1 billion years ago, we think. And so, Evolution continues to this day. So hopefully I'm leaving you with the thought that we're a lot closer to the plants and fungi than, um, than, you, uh, than you may have realized at first. Like a lot closer. We have a lot more in common with them than, we, um, than what, might, what might appear on the surface. And also that there's some pretty cool stuff, pretty cool and pretty weird stuff that happened a a few billion years ago on Earth. And um, we're the products of all that of all that weirdness now. So until next time. (laughs) 